Hello and welcome to our 10th COVID-19 podcast. I'm Hannah and I'm going to introduce Fu now who's going to be my co-host for the day. Thank you Hannah. Hello everyone. Hello my lovely audience. My name is Fu and welcome to our number 10 podcast. Today we're going to be discussing how best to support care leavers and having their voices listened to, heard, valued and acted upon. Um, we're joined as Fu just said, by all of our lovely voice pioneers and some very wonderful guest speakers who are going to be helping us talk about this topic today. In a moment, we are going to be doing an icebreaker just to lighten everyone up and get everyone ready to start speaking. So what's going to happen is in a minute, I'm going to pass my pen around the group. What's going to happen is when you receive your pen from me, you are going to say um, what your name is, if you are a professional visiting us today or aren't usually here in our um, groups, you're going to say where it is you're from and what you do and you know, sum it up in a few words. Um, and then what you think it's like at the moment to be in a child in care or care leaver's shoes. So I'm going to start. My name is Hannah. Um, I am a care leaver, so I can tell you now that what it's like to be in a care leaver's shoes is that I've been pretty worried about finance. It's been very difficult to know what's going to be happening with COVID and extremely difficult to get a job. So, yeah. Hi, uh, thanks for the pen, Hannah. I am Simone. I work for an organisation called Your Own Place and we um, aim to prevent homelessness. So we work with lots of um, care leavers and other people. We provide tenancy and independent living skills and also mentoring. And I'm needing to pass the pen downwards. Hello, I'm Teresa Levy. Um, I'm the Executive Director for Dorset Children's Services. And um, that means I run the social care and education and early help services for all of Dorset County. Um, and I've had some great conversations with some of our children in care and some of our care leavers over the time of COVID. And I think for some of our children in care, this has been quite, quite a comforting time. I've had some young people in care tell me that actually being able to cocoon and be home and not have the pressure of school has been really great. And for others, it's been really isolating. And actually not being able to be with their friends and not being able to be at school has been really difficult. And I think for all of our care leavers, I, I share some of Hannah's early concerns about the opportunities around work. And and travel and being able to have ambitions and, and being able to think about things freely and not worrying about you know what else it is I can do being able to get out and just take part in social activities so I think it's been um it's been largely a kind of concerning time I'm going to pass the pen to Connor now you're passing it to me I'm Karis guys oh, sorry <laughs> it's all right I'm Karis. I work with Wandsworth Children's Services, so I work with the participation team. I work with care leavers, children in care, and children who receive support from children's services. I think throughout this time, one of the things that I've noticed that care leavers, that's really been affecting care leavers, is the isolation and staying at home and not having things to do. And I am passing upwards. That's to me, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Stephen and uh, I'm from an organisation called Volunteering Matters. Uh, we run an intergenerational mentoring programme in nine local authority areas. 
uh, and various parts of the country. So from quite rural areas to um, four London boroughs, hopefully soon in, in Wandsworth. And um, I guess that in terms of being in a care leaver's shoes, um, what I see is, um, or what I feel is that there's a, there's a, a whole group of young people there with amazing strength and resilience um, and that it's quite hard for care leavers to find their voice or place in the world and that's probably got a, we've probably got a worse feeling of that right now when the whole world doesn't really know what it's going to look like in six months time so I think it's an interesting interesting time uh, for all of us but particularly for care leavers in that context. And I am passing to my friend Naki, and I think I'll go upwards. Oh, it's just like magic. It's come back to me. Hello, everyone. My name is Naki. Uh, I'm a youth voice pioneer, chair of the ones of youth council. And to be honest, I I fully don't know what a care leave actually is. But from looking it up and also Hannah's uh, definition that she gave to me earlier after intimidating me to answer the question earlier on. Um, I found out that it's someone who spends time in care, whether that could be like foster or residential. Um, it sort of depends on the situation and like social work, I think. But I'm trying to put my mind into like a care leaver's shoes. I'll probably say that I probably worry about the future, like as in terms of like employability, in terms of like relationships or like housing and just all those different factors might seem a bit overwhelming to them at this present moment in time. And uh, I believe I'm passing it this way. You're trying to kill me, Naki, what was that? Hang on, let me, let me get my pen. Hi, uh, so I'm Ollie. Um, I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna be entirely honest. I don't have much experience of care leavers. I, I, I'm not the most up to date on it, but I'd kind of imagine for care leavers, that loss of structure that they probably had for quite a while, um, because there's been such a change in relation to what's been happening with COVID, um, I can imagine it could be quite stressful for them. Uh, I'm gonna pass this way towards Debbie and Amy. Hi, uh, my name's Debbie. I'm the participation worker in Herefordshire, um, uh, and I'm also a social worker. Um, and I think the care leavers in Herefordshire have really um, shared with me that sometimes they aren't as tech savvy as us professionals assume they are. So our, us making them enter the world of Zoom constantly and WebEx has been really stressful on top of all the other things that they're having to deal with. Um, hi, I'm Amy. I'm from Herefordshire. I'm a care leaver. Um, and personally, I think that people in care and care leavers have experienced a lot of lack of social um, stimulation. So obviously we can't talk to our friends as normal, can't speak to our workers as regular. Um, and it's just kind of a breakdown of the kind of structure that we had beforehand. And a lot of placements have broken down that you can't really fix that during COVID. So. Hi, uh, I'm Connor. I'm the deputy chair of Onsworth Youth Council and also a youth boys pioneer. And like Naki and Ollie, I don't have much experience with care leavers, but I can imagine due to it being a very uncertain time, it can cause a lot of anxieties about what the future may hold and what it may bring. 
thank you. Um, so we're now just quickly going to introduce those that haven't had their camera on, so have missed out on the magic of the pen game. Um, we can start with Fahana, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi everyone, um, my name's Fahana, I'm also a youth, youth voice pioneer. Um, like the other guys have said, I'm not really sure what a care lever is, but I assume that they might not have, feel like they have a safe space to go to, especially because of isolation and all that staying at home and two metres apart. Abdullah, would you um, like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Abdullah, and I'm, I am a care leaver. Um, what all of you have said is, is, is very, it's, it's real, and uh, I, I am experiencing the same things. Lockdown has been difficult um, for me, and uh, a future holds uncertainty and worries. Thank you. And I will pass it on to my... I don't know someone. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, lockdown has been very difficult for me. Uh, I've just found out that um, I'm struggling with depression and anxiety. So, yeah, it's very hard, you know, just trying to keep in contact with everyone. So, yeah. <laughs> and then last but not least, definitely not least, is Fu. All right. It's like I got your pen. Thank you. Uh, as we just got to know each other, uh, why don't we talk about like how the COVID-19 policies has changed, yeah? So as you guys know, like the UK, everything like has mostly like start reopening from the 4th of July. So how, how, did, you, how did you guys feel about it? What is your experience post-lockdown? I think they're doing they're doing it quite well. Like, because um, obviously pubs reopened the other day, and like, I didn't get my kind of 18th of going out, so I went out with a couple of friends just to get some food, and um, they've actually done it in a really good way. Where um, you like scan the pub we went to at least, you scan a code, uh, and then you put the names of everyone that you're with, and then in the event of an outbreak in said pub, they will text you just to let you know. I'm not sure how many pubs are doing it, but I know with that one, like I was I was actually quite impressed that they were met they were being so cautious like they wouldn't let us they wouldn't come pick up the plates of the table we were told we had to take them to a separate table uh, they didn't interrupt us while we we're eating um which is always always welcome um and they'd literally bring drinks and they'd put them on the table next to us so they were staying two meters from us at all points and i didn't think it would be that safe particularly with what you see in the news but it, it actually wasn't too bad where i went Something I do want to touch on from speaking um, with some people is I've heard, um, first of all, I haven't heard any of this information myself. I haven't seen it on the news. It hasn't come through the news apps on my phone. I haven't actually been aware of what the current updates are at the moment. But for what Ollie is speaking about, something um, somebody's speak, spoken to me about is how people have been putting down fake names and fake phone numbers. So whilst there is this in place to make sure that if there is an outbreak, you can be contacted, it has turned out that people are not admitting that who they are and where they've been so that they can't get contacted and I think that's a very big concern um, and if this is truly happening in lots of places it's going to make controlling a possible second wave or just more outbreaks very difficult. 
Um, has anyone else got any more any experiences they'd like to speak on or um, different news that they've heard? Teresa, um, we heard about your opinion on our second pong podcast. And I was wondering if this has changed at all. Thank you. Thank, thanks, Hannah. So um, I'm just kind of really reflecting on that bit about, you know, listening to people saying how difficult it's been not being able to go out and be out and about, and yet still kind of really feeling uncertain about um, about going out because is that safe? And I think it's that real complexity, that, that kind of double feeling that's making things really difficult for people. And yet, you know, I also just noticed Ollie talking about not being able to have his 18th and when we talked on the second podcast, we also talked about relationships. And I think a number of people had just started in a relationship and that sense of what's it going to mean for that. So just those really ordinary, everyday things that have become really difficult in lockdown and, and wondering about, you know, how people can, can get out and about, do what they need to do, feel safe. I mean, I, I've been really overwhelmingly impressed by the fact that really our children and young people took a four-month curfew and, and in the greatest extent completely accepted it and I think that's really deeply impressive um, and I think that for some people that curfew that kind of staying home is it's going to be more it's going to be more difficult to come out actually than it was to stay home but I've been just so impressed by the way in which young people just absolutely took that message around this is about protecting the older vulnerable population and have done so with, with great great heart but I'm concerned about that sense of well-being that sense of you know what's the world going to be like for me what's what's the chances going to be there what will I be able to do in terms of accommodation or work or having those you know those parties those things that you'd normally want to be doing yeah so that's what's been kind of really I've been pondering about since our last podcast really about how are you all managing in those times um so if, if I could come in Hannah just briefly um I think we've we we've been quite disappointed with the um, lack of communication that's been aimed at young people, uh, and that has included young people, <clears throat> and particularly has included communities that are have English as a second or additional language, and um, certainly the young people that we work with and the communities that we work with um, feel like they are not really included. Um, in the messaging and or the understanding of the messaging and that are instructed to um, take a, a course of action that they don't necessarily understand. And I think it's true what, what uh, that Teresa said there, that actually in the main part, you know, in particular young people have, have accepted that, but the, um, the kind of the, the weight around the need to involve young people now, particularly in what the future holds, is really, is really growing because we're seeing anxiety across all different facets of everyone's life. Everyone's in this kind of position really. And it's true, as Teresa said, whether it's on an individual relationship basis or because you're a child due to go from year six to year seven, or you're about to go to university, or you've moved into your supported housing environment, uh, all of the, or you've moved into a home environment where there are tough challenges going, happening for you right now you know, everyone is going through an experience of some description at this, at this point. And the thing that young people tell us most is that they don't, they just don't know what the future holds really in any context. So we've been lobbying quite hard and working with young people quite hard to try and get the government to change the way it's talking and giving out its messaging and involving more young people in that process. Um, because we think they're being left behind. 
Um, and that particularly goes as well for communities that don't speak English particularly well or have English digital language, or there are learning difficulties, you know, around understanding messaging, hidden groups, basically. Yeah, I think it's important to note that um, getting information about what's really going on with COVID at the moment out to young people is difficult in itself. But the other point is to, I know a lot of other care leavers that I um, spend time with and work with, a lot of them don't have access to the internet or just don't use any sort of form of social media. And how they're finding out information about what's going on is, I just think it's not happening. Full stop. I don't think they're hearing about what's going on um, in the news daily and probably have no idea about that 4th of July when was when lockdown was first kind of removed, but also that within a couple of days, those pubs that were open were being forced to close. Um, and if this news just isn't getting out there, how are young people and those specifically in care, how are they meant to keep themselves safe? Um, I was hoping to move on to um, Simone here, because I think another point is that I know that placements have been breaking down a lot during COVID and it's been very difficult to keep young people in safe placements. Uh, how has COVID impacted your work in general? Thanks, Hannah. Uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, echo a lot of what's been said. We did our best to get messages out and to really simplify those messages or make them, um, you know, much more user-friendly, but we were only able to do that um, digitally, really, apart from those young people that we had relationships with, um, lots of phone calls, lots of texts and WhatsApps um, to keep those young people kind of up to date and as safe as we could. Um, we're also asked by the council to work with them. Um, as you'll know, um, people who are on the streets and some of those young people ended up on the streets in the relationships you're talking about when they broke down. Um, they were often put in accommodation and then volunteers were coming in to work with them. But those volunteers hadn't been trained to work with care leavers or work with uh, people who'd been homeless or experiencing homelessness. So I think it links in there with one of the points we were looking at about language, about prejudice. Um, and stereotypes. So we've been doing quite a lot of work trying to, um, you know, reduce that, get people to understand, we, you know, increase empathy. Um, so we feel like we're trying to, um, you know, deal with it on a number of different uh, fronts, really, which is really important when you're looking at such a big problem. So not just working with um, young people as best as we can, but also working with the professionals involved with them and actually have a link in between that. So our mentors, the same as Stephen, as organisations are volunteers. And so you get rid of that power imbalance of someone sort of being a professional working in a service. So I think actually a lot of our young people have really appreciated having someone in their life who isn't um, a professional and who can talk to them about what they know about COVID and um, have those conversations that are not about a professional telling you what you've got to do, but somebody else saying, oh, I don't really understand either. Um, or this is what I've made of the rules. Yeah, I think it's um, good to move here onto our first talking point, which is um, about round perception of children in care and care leavers. Um, there's lots of ways that I think that we can be seen as different and as less than in some scenarios. And it's important to remember that we are just normal people, just normal teenagers and young people um, trying to get by just like everybody else. Um, Naki, I'd like to put you on the spot. What do you think a care leaver is? Again? Really? Oh, come on, I thought I was free. Oh, I mean, 
the way the way I just see it is like you know how people they have like different situations going on, and it's just you said care leavers are just like no more people that are just trying to get by. So I just feel it's like care leavers are just young people who, or adults who put in like different situations because like they didn't have like that family dynamic. It's just like they might have been in like a foster or a resident care home of like like maybe some like distant family member. It's just like particular circumstances that it's not the best, but like they're still trying to like prove that they're like, well, not normal, but just like trying to fit in with other teenagers, like other people, I guess. Teresa, do you have a point you'd like to add? Yeah, so just just listening there, Naki, that was a really interesting kind of sense about just wanting to be healthy, normal, and 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 then Hannah, I was thinking about that really important message about language, and you know, sometimes people use the language of looked after children, and then they shorten it to the acronym LAC, which is, um, you know, such rubbish language, isn't it? And that, that bit about how we have to put a ton of label on everything, um, and it and it's the same with. Um, so much of, of the world which we just make it into something that's lazy and easy for us to use and yet it doesn't really value just as you say people being people the reality is what we absolutely know is that lots of our children in care and care leavers go on to be and do incredible things in spite of sometimes very difficult lives and you know that's that's the message we need to really promote out there and be really clear about the fact that the kind of the incredible resilience that young people learn and, and deliver um, in the absence of you know I, I know when I speak to people who don't often know what a care leader is or don't understand the journey that children in care will have had is that idea of having to live on your own look after yourself and take care of everything for yourself at such a young age that really connects with them and it's about no did I do that no did, did do most people do that no so needing to provide that support is about at least what we'd have wanted for ourselves or our own so it is that bit about really being able to connect people to what that's like on any time and particularly now in COVID. Okay, so just touching up on that, um, I feel like language is different for everybody. So some people may get offended by the term lack and some people might not care at all. So personally, I don't, I'm not really bothered by it. Um, but then again, my little sister, she may be kind of offended by it um but at the moment me and debbie are working on this kind of leaflet and language that we can change upon um like these different terms that people have been offended by in the past and it looks like this and it just has a bunch of different um kind of terminology in it that we can change and for children that are getting offended by it so like children that can't properly read um, so like just looking through pictures and seeing that kind of change so we draw stuff so they kind of understand it a bit better um, and we go to council meetings and kind of teach them and get them to use this terminology so that the care leavers and children in care don't get offended by it but then again like people may get offended by it and people may not it's different for everybody and everyone has a different opinion so um, language, language is so important, not even just for the language that adults use with each other, but even 
language that's used that young people use with each other and how outside people who don't work with children and young people in care the language that they use that's automatic so parents rather than guardians and there's so much issues surrounding language that when a young person will turn around and tell someone that they've been in care those three words been in care or i'm a care leaver makes such a huge impact that people automatically change how they act towards them how they speak towards them i've seen people be speaking to some of the young people i work with and then they find out they're in care and then automatically they'll dumb down their language or they'll start talking patronizingly it don't i think with language it comes with the tone as well as the words that are being used if that makes sense it made sense in my head yeah i think it's um definitely a point that amy picks up on is that um it's always important to treat people in care as individuals um and as you're explaining that people what they're okay with is very different from person to person i myself i've always been fine with being called a care kid as somebody that's had social workers come and take me out of school completely fine i enjoyed it to be honest my little sister she's five years younger than me hated it hated every moment of being branded as a young person in care is feeling like they're different because of something that's out of her control and you know that's we're from the same family but we have very different perspectives on it and it's exactly the same for anyone that is in care we all have our own opinions and different things that we don't mind and it it needs to be on a case-to-case basis on where on what you what terminology you use with a young person and whether you're wearing your lanyard in public with them or not you need to ask the young person to make sure that they're okay with that before you do it and maybe make them feel really awful Stephen, I believe you had a point next that you wanted to add. Uh, I did, but you just said it so much better. Uh, So I guess, I mean, I hate the term and I hate all of these terms really in in so many ways. and I don't think they're helpful. And I think the case by case individual lived experience and allowing someone to define the language is really, um, really a great point. I think by giving an adult perspective and a, and a charity perspective and um, from my old parish, it's a sort of social worker perspective. When you see this, it's worse. Adults use this language to exclude people. So we use it as terms that we're all really comfortable with, that we, that we um, uh, allows us to talk to ourselves in our own bubbles about. And actually that's not really helpful to anyone at all. Uh, and it allows us as adults often to, to set the, the narrative and just what Karis was saying, to impose a tone on, on a group of young people. Um, and that's not, uh, that's not very good at all, to be honest. So I, I hate the term, I don't think they're useful. I think it's something that's often used as a means of exclusion, whether it's um, consciously or otherwise. Uh, and therefore, I'd be up for ripping the whole thing up and starting again. Language is so important, I think, especially nowadays, because there's so many, there's so many ways that you can communicate with people. And I know, particularly because we touched upon it in a previous podcast, where um, there were things such as uh, was it lack meetings, this sort of thing. Um, and one thing that the pioneers have recently been doing a bit is we've been kind of being taught how to sketch note 
which basically means instead of writing long essay pages of tens of thousands of words, which to be honest, you're never going to read, uh, you draw pictures and you can draw like a page of pictures based on some key points that you're hearing. And what we're finding is that that's a really universal way to interact with people. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a care leaver, a child in care, an asylum seeker, a special educational needs uh, student. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because everyone gets it. It's such a universal language and it is something that could be used um, to help teach people what it actually means to be in care because it's not something that is often discussed. It's like uh, someone said in the chat, it's, it's not something that people learn about. And the whole thing of, oh, you're in, you're in care. Oh, I'm a bit reluctant, like um, Kara said. Like, it's not something that should be a thing. Like, we, we're in an age now where you can't single someone out based on their background, their race, their ethnicity. And that, that also applies to care leavers and children in care. So um, just to add into that, um, from my experience, I think um, it, it's not really about changing the language or changing the terminology, or it's about um, how do people perceive the language, what, what they say. So, it's, um, for example, if you call someone care lever because of their um, understanding what, what it's like to be in care, um, can make them to look um, frown upon you or look down upon you. If if they do understand what it's like to be in care, um, they might just uh, develop some empathy or 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 help you out in a way. So I think it's it's more about um, focusing on educating people rather than um, removing the terminologies. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's um, making sure that people are using the correct terminology at the correct times. Um, something that I've come across a few times, and I know that other people have as well, that are in my position as being somebody that's in care, is I was once waiting um, with this group. We'd just finished, we were going to be picked up, and the person running the group turned around and said to everyone, right, well, you can all leave as long as your mum and dad has come to pick you up. And I was just there like, well... I'm going to be waiting an awfully long time. And you see, for me, that's funny. I find it funny to put them on the spot and make them realize what they've just said is very wrong. But I know that from somebody else's position, if um, somebody had said to them, oh, you've got to wait for your mum and your dad, and you know, that's not an option for them, they could have gotten very upset. And it's that kind of language that people need to be more aware of when they're using, I mean, in today's society, whether or not you're in care, it's not necessarily the norm anymore to have a two-parent family and people aren't necessarily even with their mum or the dad even if they are still with their family um, so it's important to uh, be aware of the language that we are using and make sure that we are changing the terminology to be more um, accepting of today's society um, yeah like you said um, I think it's really important that you educate other people who are not aware of care leavers or the care system especially in schools like um someone mentioned earlier how there's a very it's very stigmatized so i think it's important that all people are aware of of what other people are going through 
and in that sense it can be something that we work as a as everyone works together to achieve rather than the people that are going through it just them um fighting on their own yeah i think i i second that because as someone who personally doesn't have any experience with the care system to all of a sudden come into it and be like given like like all these terms like very like rapidly like lack and all these other terms i'm overwhelmed so i can't even imagine what it's like for someone actually in the care system and i feel bad for 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 those that don't really know what the care system is because it is such a big part of our society but not many people know that it's even there because I, I know many people that have gone through the care system yet they don't actively say that they're in the care system out of fear of stigmatization and it makes me feel sad because that they can't fully really open up to me about their lives the way that I'm opening up to them about mine and I just feel sad that that's the way it is so I think that more should be done to open up the care world to the rest of society because at the end of the day it is still a huge fundamental part of, of young people and I think more people need to know, know about it and be educated. One thing that um, I've kind of, I, I noticed in particular is that whenever like someone talks about uh, the care system it, it's, it's never coming from a child in care it always feels like someone talking about the care system is normally uh, a, a word I've learned today: someone from corporate parent, uh, so someone from like the in the organisation that looks after those children in care. And the issue with that is you you don't know if that's a decision maker's point of view or if it's a young person's point of view. And I feel like from from stuff that I've seen, because I do know a couple of people who are in social housing in the care system, care leavers as well, is they, they always seem to say that there's not much of a feedback loop like for them it's much harder to um keep people you, you can't really account for those who are taking who are meant to be listening to you um and i know that this is a pretty it's a pretty big issue within the care system yeah no i just wanted to say that i mean just me and connor were like talking in the chat a little bit about like how pshe lessons in school like personally I find it like a bit interesting because they talk about like topics that are current in our borough, ones of like knife crime or like mental health or voting or just stuff like that that is like normal in the curriculum to teach, and that's what like, other schools have been doing. But I think like those PSHE lessons they need to advance, or like people need to come in and, and like talk to other young people and sort of like spread the message on like what the care system is like, different acronyms, the probably like the language that they feel like those young people might respond to better or like at least those young people getting taught it they might have they might start to form like some idea of like what the care system is like and what care leavers like go through and I think like if you use those lessons if you like go into schools or youth clubs and like, you give those talks it will sort of show like how they're sort of like coming into the open and it sort of reminds me of, like, the Lion King, like, when Simba's, like, holding up. It's, like, you have to show him to the world, you know? And it's, yeah, like, you do all of that. And, yeah, it's just, like, educating people nowadays. Like, even from, like, the most basic things, like, just to get, like, a rough idea at first. Then it's, like, if you keep repeating it, keep going through it, they'll start to form an idea and they'll start to, like, actually know what it's like. 
or like at least try and see okay try not to use this language or like try not to do this or that like, just to get a sensible idea this moves quite nicely into upskilling children in care in care leavers because how are we meant to stay involved and active in what's happening with our lives through things like lack meetings and court cases if we don't know the jargon that's being thrown at us or how to actively get our voices heard um, we need help in learning how to communicate and how to gain interview skills um, and I believe Deb you've had quite a bit experience of helping young people learn these skills <laughs> have you got you. anything to add <laughs> <laughs> thank you Han. um yeah i think like we were discussing earlier um i work in herefordshire um, and i'm the only participation worker there um, and we're quite a rural county um and i'm very much focused on um an individual basis like we chatted before i think all young people are individual um and and i want to make sure they're included in whatever i do so if all young people who are looked after or care experience or care leavers are part of our group um, and if they want to engage with us we kind of i either go out to them you know and like we, i said before sometimes i'll meet them five times and four out of those times we'll just be chatting about their things they like they dislike and on that one occasion when they feel ready we'll start talking about something they may want to um, share or challenge and, and kind of we, we work that way. It's very led by the young person in Herefordshire. Um, sometimes it takes longer um, in other, than in other authorities, but I think it's worth taking time um, and doing it right, because like we've all said before, there's lots of changes in young people's lives, particularly with social workers and PAs. Um, and, you know, like you said, sometimes information doesn't come out as quick as it should to young people. So sometimes it takes time to find that information. Um, so yeah, so we just take time and we use lots of different kind of social medias and platforms to engage. Um, like I said, we've got lots of out-of-county young people, um, but we, we really like to use champions and leads so that young people feel like they're equal to the professionals in our authority, so can challenge and really hold them to account. And I think just by that very nature, they upskill themselves without even realizing the talents that they have. Um, and so it's a really nice um, process um, that we do, but it does take a little bit longer. Debbie, it's the same in Wandsworth. So we try to be very, very young people led. I mean, I've had young people contouring. I don't do makeup, <laughs> not for work anyway, but it's so fun. But I think as well, what it does is it allows us to become human to them and not just another adult coming in who's going to go out. We sit down and we have conversation um me and maxine have gone for walks during covid because i know she doesn't live too far away from where i live so we've met up and just gone for a walk and just chatted nonsense i met up with a young person today and went for a walk and was playing pokemon go so <laughs> um, that's amazing yeah that's brilliant yeah, so when we have bits and pieces going on in the office even if it's stuff like a mail out we'll get one of the young people to come in to do it we'll give them a set amount of time to do it and we'll pay them for it as well so they're learning skills of being on time. We've got our young people trained up. So we have them on interview panels that we have something called a buzzword. So as it happens, if I've been working in the office all day with adults and I go meet a couple of young people, lack, IROs, that all comes out. So we have, we'll just be like buzzword and it works both ways. So when the young people start talking slang, I'm like, um, buzzword i'm old now i need a bit of help so, but it's really really nice just having those conversations and 
building up those relationships with the young people, you get to see such a different side to them that's not necessarily written down. And it's so nice. And it gives, just in that, it gives them the confidence to be able to speak up. We advocate for them if they ask us to. There's Quorum who will advocate for them as well. But yeah, like you were saying, being young people led and young people focused, that's the reason why I go into work and do the admin stuff because they make it so worth it. Hi, I wonder, I think uh, I was going to come in here and just talk about <clears throat> some of the techniques that we use at our organisation and particularly our mentors. Um, we use both what's called, an, I'm sorry about the jargon, an asset-based approach, um, which is very much about, and other people will maybe call it the strengths-based approach, is helping people see the skills that they already have and where they can build on those skills, where else they can get help and connections. Um, we also use the restorative approach, which again, uh, we keep looking for new words for these things. And we really uh, love it if participation people can work with your young people to, to come up with some better terms. Uh, we also have our own youth advisory board. We've got them on the, on the job too. Um, but all of that is about helping to increase someone's confidence so they feel able to as Hannah was saying you know ask what are those terms what are you saying about me or hold people to account um, you know we don't want to say that looked after um, children or those in care shouldn't be getting support and shouldn't have support of course not but they should actually also feel confident in the skills that they have the skills they've built up through their lives like everyone does um, to gain confidence to be able to get the best possible um, help that they need and understanding of what's going on for them. So, as I say, that's something that very much our organisation does and particularly works well with mentors, as I said, where there's no power imbalance. Um, it's just a mentor, you know, getting people to see the positives they already have and hopefully increase their confidence that way. Stephen, I believe you wanted to talk um, about how to, along the lines of how to train and support social worker and their support teams. Uh, yeah, I can do. Um, so we uh, operate mentoring projects similar to just been described um, by Simone there, and we run them in um, a number of different areas. And we use intergenerational mentoring. So that basically means people, older people, to um, become mentors to do the approaches that really that Simone was just describing, exactly the same. One of the things um, we've done though is we've put a lot of effort into. Um, how we match a mentor to a young person so that the young person has choice in that process uh, and um, what we've done is we've done that around a whole heap of fun activities I know that's a big thing for participation people as well uh, so that the conversations that start between a mentor and a mentee are ones that um, are around really fun activities where people have to problem solve together, the young person and the adult have to, has to problem solve together. And then the men, mentee cho um, chooses the mentor. Uh, and I guess there's similarities there to what Karis and Deb were saying about allowing the, um, the conversation to go where it needs to go in the, so that it's a fun one or what's relevant to begin with. What we really see is some amazing outcomes where um, the young people we work with end up at university and in um, their own accommodation and they're financially independent and all the things that you would you would want but it's really built on an on as Simone was saying um, equity what we would call a level playing field and actually the mentor learns just as much from the young person 
uh, as the um, mentee does from the mentor. And that has to be a two-way street. Otherwise, it doesn't really work. There can be no power um, imbalance there. It has to be completely equitable. So much the same as what Simone was saying, really. Um, but what we see is that that shifts quite a lot of social workers' practice around us in terms of the way that they operate because they start to see and hear and speak with young people in a different way because the young people are gaining a voice. And so much of what, the, what our mentors would do would be some of the advocacy work that was described there, challenging decisions, uh, you know, getting the young person to understand what their rights are, what they should be asking for, what, they, what their responsibilities are. And they're all key things really to kind of help change the narrative around the young person that we're working with. So what we then see is social workers often change the way they approach that young person because often they haven't had that kind of um, conversation with the young person before because maybe the, that young person hasn't presented to them in that way before. So we're starting to see quite a shift um, uh, around that, uh, which we think is really um, quite important, I guess, for social workers to see that. That's really, really helpful, Stephen. I think there's something about what, what I think you're describing is something that I just fundamental issue about respecting people's humanity. And so if we all kind of come at this process around being who we are and expecting and wanting other people to be the best they can be, um, I think that's what we're looking for. And what I certainly see in our, in our personal advisors and how they work with our young people, which has been absolutely out, outstanding over this time and really, really flexible, really innovative and really thinking of different ways in which they can you know, build that relationship, keep that relationship going. And I'm really pleased that we've actually made more contact, interestingly. So though it's all this social distancing, actually we've made contact with um, some young people we weren't in contact with during this time. And um, I think that's that's been really important because I guess, that, so, you know, for me, it's respect relationships and the third bit is resources. And this is about, we have the opportunity to access young people into resources and being able to access them into what's, what's there is, is so important because I genuinely believe that we have to just keep on being you know, unexhaustible, um, really relentless, and, and I, I think um, really kind of terrier-like, somebody was saying earlier, around you know, how do we keep on keeping on, keep on with options, and that's true more now than ever. So as we find that work is going to be challenging for people, you know, it's going to be how important to have offer after offer of internship or apprenticeship or work or just an opportunity to be alongside and to keep on keeping on with that because everybody's got the right to muck it up. I did. Everybody's got the right to, you know, fail at something I have. Everybody's got the right to not get it right first time. Um, and we've got to keep on being relentless more than ever uh, with, with our care leaders in particular at this point. Okay, um, and touching back on Stephen's point about social workers, um, so me and Debbie, we're part of this organisation called Your Voice Matters, and it is solely based upon young people, so Debbie's just kind of a support system. I'm the PA, basically. <laughs> so we kind of, she organises so like council work and like interviews, but the young people kind of organise everything from that, so we organise questions we want to ask, social workers and foster carers when they're going through the interview process of applying for a job um, and we will have 
quite a big input on whether or not they should get the job and like our opinion on them and what they should touch up on so constructive criticism um, and we kind of give them scenarios on what their job will entail and how and like kind of ask them how they would deal with that situation um, and if they use any incorrect terminology or any like incorrect way they would handle the situation we tell them there and then um, and we have a very like opinionated young people so I am one of the opinionated young people <laughs> and we kind of just say it how it is we don't beat around the bush rather than some adults may um, so it's just very up and in front um, we also train them on the terminology so we don't just kind of blab out how we feel we train them on like so if they already have a job um, we, we just kind of touch up on what they already know um, so for instance we have the terminology lack so look after children um, we kind of tell them that we want something else and we have like a vote on what we'd like them to use so across the county we have every young person kind of say what they would like have the tally and whatever you know whatever the major vote is we train them on what we want instead of them using what they've just said um, and yeah just kind of just yeah that's it that's it I think just also popping in I think as a social worker myself I think where we need to start is right back in uni because the voice of the child is is not even touched upon you might get a couple of young people coming into your, your uni lectures and you might get a bit of a tokenistic kind of chat and a bit of like look this is a real young person um but actually you aren't you aren't assessed on it you aren't watched doing it you know and when you get into practice you're already consumed by the paperwork and the fast pace of social work so actually i think we really need to go back to almost the grassroots of social work while we're training um to, to really get it right because i really feel that all social workers should be participation workers as much as they should be a social worker because it is the most amazing part of our job and it's why we become social workers um so i just think you know we all need to be campaigning to, to universities and to the children's commissioner to stay give us a chance you know let us let us do our jobs can i just come in there quickly just to say that uh, that was amazing uh 100% yeah absolutely and um it's interesting so um a lot of social workers have started to come to us from the local unis on 100 day placements to see it from a community-based perspective uh, and it's interesting because they'll go back often and say the same thing that this is not reflected in the theory of what it is that they're doing and actually this is what this is and we see uh, in Suffolk so I think it's something ridiculous like 80% of social workers in Suffolk uh, are under two years experience because all the social workers have left and they've gone and worked in community-based organizations in, in, in effect so that's the way we're going to turn change that burnout and the people leaving the field really so i think that's that's really helpful steve and i think there's really something about i'm just kind of thinking about all our social workers and how much they would really want to be doing that in terms of you know having 
more time just working with people and and the big challenge we face is that you know people have talked about it a lot today, tonight paperwork and all of that kind of bureaucracy and getting rid of that so that actually our social workers can spend more time um, even if it's safeguarding work they're doing that wanting to spend more time with their families and so yeah that is the challenge i think we all face Thank you, everyone. I feel like we could talk about these topics for hours. There's so much here that we could discuss, and I think there's so much more that does need to be touched on at a later date. But for now, um, we're as we draw this to a close, um, we're gonna have I'm gonna have the youth voice pioneers share some of their tips and our takeaways for today's session. I believe we're starting with Connor. So our first takeaway for young people is to try and keep up to date with the news and keep informed of the government changes and also inform other care leavers that, that you're in contact with about any developments so that everyone stays informed. Um, our second one is holding decision makers accountable for what they say, especially in terms of carrying out the actions they promise and not to be afraid to ask about the language and acronyms that are used when professionals talk about care leavers. Our third takeaway is get involved in opportunities to help make better changes in recruitment and how they, how they are treated as a care leader. And now we're going to move on to our takeaways for the decision makers. Naki, we're going to start with you. Um, our first takeaway for decision makers is think of different ways of keeping care leavers informed about the changes being made that affect them, as not all of them have internet access and can't keep up to date with the current news and affairs. And our second takeaway for decision makers is recognising that care leavers are individuals that have different preferences and want to be treated as such. Also, understanding that care leavers have feeling and don't want to be seen as just a file or a workload. Our third one is to listen to young people and make achievable small promises before making big ones that won't be met. And also use language that care leavers understand and explain any professional terms to ensure that all information given is clear. Um, the fourth one is to involve young people in recruitment and selection of staff, involve them in the induction and regular training to help emphasize with young, with young people's perspective. And the last one, remember that social workers are often a source of consistency in a care leaver's life. So try to ensure that there's a smoother transition between workers. So all that's left to do today is to thank everybody here for their contributions. It's been some, we've had some great discussion uh, through all points of the system and it's been great to hear your views. Um, just a reminder to all our listeners that Youth Voice Pioneers would love to hear your, vo your views too. And you can do this via our social media pages where we'll be sharing this podcast. Um, so that's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, Naki, what are you waving at me for? <laughs> www.participationpeople.com forward slash podcast go check it out check out the early episodes like my my guy few said um yeah follow us on everything as hannah just said twitter facebook insta snap post to all your friends or your co-workers we are trying to go for world domination here people and ollie is our resident um dictator but obviously he'll be very happy to hear about that news <laughs> Thank you guys so much. You guys have been amazing. I know I haven't talked much today, but I was really nervous, not gonna lie. But I've been listening. I'm a Turing myself, so I'm still learning today. 
I just learned a lot of new things today. Thank you very much.